Hello, I'm Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives, a show about conversation, community, and the people that bring community to life. My guest today is Kitty Williams. My conversations with Kitty Williams are too compelling to limit to one show, so over the coming weeks, we will be continuing to share Kitty's story in separate episodes. Kitty Williams was born in Charente, Hungary, in 1924. Her family's home was turned into a ghetto for the area's only two Jewish families before she was transported to Auschwitz. Kitty was later moved to the Allendorf work camp where she was forced to work with toxic chemicals and to chisel powder out of undetonated bombs. She was eventually liberated by the American army and settled in Council Bluffs, Iowa, in 1947 and has obviously lived a full life since then too and we'll talk about that as well. So Kitty, thank you for coming and welcome to the show. It's my pleasure. Why don't we start way back at the beginning and, and maybe tell me a little bit about your childhood. All right. Well, we'll start way back. I was born actually in 1924. I'm pretty old. and um, But I do remember my early childhood. I had a terrible tragedy happened in when I was seven years old. My mother and my younger sister died of... Um, of typhoid fever, so my my life really really changed, and um, even though I had six siblings and I was the youngest, uh, while at home we had a, really a beautiful life with a lot of love, and our father. Uh, continued to to raise me and raise all of us actually um i was like i said i was 7 years old and uh i went to the local public uh school elementary school that actually and i had i had a lot of girlfriends but i always felt uh an outsider even though you know it wasn't just just the just the words just it was just the attitude that i felt toward me because i was different i was jewish and the only we were the only jewish family in 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 my town and there were times that mostly little boys would call me names they would call me a dirty jew and I would run home crying, and my dad would comf- comfort me and would say to me, but honey, words can't hurt you. And just think of what our ancestor went through all through the, all through the years. Uh, we were always persecuted, and there were programs uh, that they suffered through. So we have it you know, re- relatively good. And... So um, it was just sort of a normal, a normal life. That's all I knew, and um, I was a very good, very good student in school. So I, I didn't have any, really, any other problems except that I, of course, I missed my mother terribly. And then in about. Uh, 
in the actually in the 1930s things have started to change and even i could i could sense that things were not as good as they were before tell me a little bit about what were the things that made you realize that you could feel that the situation was changing around you? It, it was probably uh, hearing adults talk about it. Uh, my, my dad, because my older siblings, because there were started to be rumors about what was happening in Germany. But also in the 1930s, we, uh, we started to have Hungarian laws against, expressly against the Jews. And for instance, uh, there was a quota system uh, for, the, for the universities and only 6% of the student body could be consist of, of Jewish students. And um, there were just uh, similar things that uh, Jews were not, not allowed to do. Uh, it, it were they were just to me they were just rumors, and of course it really didn't didn't affect me until I graduated from high school and wanted desperately to go to college, and of course that was out of the question because if there were any even any spaces for for Jewish students, it was always reserved for the for the male students because you know women in my in my generation we were supposed to get married and have children and and but not work out, out of the outside of the home could you also tell me then maybe paint a little bit of a picture for for me and also for our listeners who probably have very little idea what a town like Sharon was like then. And I, I wonder if you might paint that picture for us a little yes, bit. Yes, of course I will. It was a very small town. And, um, most everybody was a farmer, had small land, a small piece of land. Uh, we had our, we had vineyard and I, we had also some farmland and my dad also... Uh, Rented some of the f some f farm ground, and we had a store. We had some, uh, also he dealt in some grain in, in grains. We had um, um, animals uh, such as horses and um, cows that uh, uh, my sisters milked. I never by the time. Um, my turn came. Uh, we were we were cut cut down a lot, and so I I never had that pleasure of milking a cow, but my sisters did, and uh, we had a uh, a man who took the milk into the nearest big town, which was called Debrecen, and. Uh, there were a lot of activities, you know, at our house because. We also, um, uh, again, I, I want to go back to to my friends. I had one special girlfriend right across the street from me who was an only only child, and we were very, very close. We spent every day together when we weren't in school. Well, after uh, elementary school, my uh, 
friend who who was um, who was who was Catholic. She went to um, a Catholic high school, where and I went to a Jewish high school. So we, we really parted company. We still spoke, but we weren't friends anymore. And um, uh, as it turned out, uh, after the Germans uh, uh, occupied the country. Um, she after that she didn't even want she didn't even want to speak to me. Um, it's, I don't like it myself. So, in in 1944, March of 1944, actually March 19th, the Germans invaded Hungary, and that's when my life really, really changed, and uh, to the wars, the Hungarians were welcomed uh, the the Germans, and uh, all the rumors that we were previously hearing became reality, actually. Uh, the first thing uh, we were uh, we were told uh, that we, we had to uh, we had to wear the yellow star and uh, the star of David, and we could not go we could not leave our homes except for two hours daily. I think it was from three to five in the afternoon. My brothers was were taken to forced labor camp. Uh, by actually, by that time, I was nineteen years old, and I was I was alone at, with my dad. Uh, my my sisters and my brothers they either got married or or seek employment in in larger towns when like I said when when the Germans invaded Hungary we were I was just alone with my dad and um, every day we received new orders or new laws uh, by the town crier who came in the town square and would announce each day a different law that that only applied to to, to the Jews. Uh, we we only received half of the half of the ration because of course you know we weren't quite like human beings, and um, uh, there were all kinds of restrictions. We had to close. Our, my dad had to close his store, even though. He was a World War One veteran, and um, was in, injured several times. He had uh, in in the war, but uh, nothing counted as long as as long as you you were you had you were Jewish. Uh, all these new laws applied to you. Kitty, you mentioned um, that the Germans invaded Hungary uh, in March 1944. I think I think it was when you mentioned. 
But of course, the war, uh, as we think about it, uh, began sort of 1939, and sort of the Germans had invaded much of the rest of Europe. I wonder how you felt about the war starting and, and what that meant for you and your family. What were you thinking and feeling? Well, we heard a lot of rumors of what what they do, what they did mostly to to the Jewish people, but we didn't believe anything. We even had someone, uh, a young man, who escaped uh, from a from a German concentration camp, which um, and he he was going through our town. And stopped at our house, and of course, uh, we f- I fed him, and my dad gave him some money. He was trying to find his way as to go to Israel, which at that time it was actually called Palestine. And he was telling these horror stories, but my my dad just dismissed it all. It's just all he. All just rumors because I served. He was saying I served with the Germans during World War One, and they were wonderful people, very very cultured. They couldn't do these atrocities. There's just no way. This is just all just propaganda, and uh, all just rumors, just just to scare you. But none of it can, it cannot be true. Because soon we found out that. Uh, they were they were not fake stories. They were they were they were real, and I want to mention a couple of things. Uh, while we were occupied, we uh, actually that were they were actually in my my little the German soldiers were in my little town. One evening, soon after they they arrived. We had um, our own very own crystal knock. One night we heard glass breaking, and uh, I remember my dad was brave enough to go outside to the front door, and uh, there were uh, some German soldiers and some Hungarian hoodlums. They were all drunk, and they were demanding that uh, they wanted that their they want to see me. That the German soldiers want to want to see me, and that I that I my dad needs to bring me out. It was in the middle of the night, and uh, of course I, I knew things things were not good. So I remember hiding under the bed, uh, just just uh, uh, scared to death, and uh, evidently. My dad, who was able, who was who spoke several languages, one was German, and he was able to convince them that I wasn't home, that I was visiting my sister, and so he talked them out of it, and they left more or less peacefully. Also, I want to add a little story to that because, first of all, because I, I want to emphasize. That while the German, by the excuse me, by the Hungarians, really welcomed the Germans. Not everybody welcomed them. Not all of the Hungarians. There were, uh, there were good people, or they were um, that sensed it that it wasn't 
everything was not not a, not so not so great and uh and an old man who who was actually uh was a lot younger than I am probably now because you know I am 93 years old and he was probably in his 80s who lived across the street and um when he came over every night and spend the evening with us because uh, I he asked me to read the Hungary the paper the newspaper to him uh, he, he, because we were probably the only people in in town that we got the paper from uh, from Budapest and um, so I always read him the editorials and he was a very wise old man who read the Bible and we were all very fond of him because we called him uncle and um he when he found out the next day what happened the night before and helped my dad to board up the windows and he said but but kitty can't stay here at night it might happen again how about if she comes over and sleep at my house he was a widower by then lived by himself in a one bedroom house so we decided, my dad and I decided we'll take him up on it. And uh, I took a blanket and a pillow with me the following night. And from then on, I slept at his house under his bed because there was no uh, no room at all for me. Uh, he had chickens sitting on eggs around, the, around each wall. And um, it was spring. They were you know, hatching chickens. And so I don't know how, but I still, I slept every night under his bed. And the reason I, I will, I want to talk about this because just to point out that not everybody was evil. And uh, when I went back much later, uh, in the, the 1980s, early 1980s, I went back to Hungary. And my former neighbors, some of them were still still around, and I asked them when Uncle Mike died. They said, "Well, he died the, the summer you left, and he fought that he didn't want to die. He wanted to uh, to uh, to see his neighbors one, just one more time, but." But he said, if I should die before they return, I want to be wrapped in Kitty's blanket, and I want her pillow under my head in the in the coffin. And this is he did die that summer of 1944, and that's how he was buried. And of course, every year. Or every time I go back to Hungary, I always go to his grave. Uh, he was a really a, a brave man because this would have been sure death for him if anybody found out what, what I was doing.
And another incident that I want to talk about during the occupation is uh, that uh, one Sunday afternoon, another friend, girlfriend of mine, somehow let me know because as we had no phones and <laughs> no electricity, and I don't know how we even communicated, but uh, she somehow, I think, threw in a, a piece of rock with a note that she would like to meet me in my allowed time and that we will go and, and see some other girls and it just sounded like heaven to me, you know, after being cooped up and the house was always dark, of course, because, you know, uh, the windows were boarded up. And so it was a pretty, uh, pretty, pretty horrible life for a 19-year-old girl. The only thing I could do is... Um, read. We had a lot of books. Fortunately, we had a lot of books. But uh, they also took our radio, which was um, battery-operated, but uh, even radios were not allowed, Jews were not allowed to have radios. So when I uh, met her, I, we had a great time. We saw some other girls, and uh, I went home, and the next day, the Hungarian police came to our house and they told my dad that they're taking me into custody. And he said, well, what did she do? And I said, she, well, she broke the law. She didn't have on her, she didn't wear her yellow star when she was out on the street. And I, actually, I had it on, but I may have covered it up with my jacket accidentally. But, you know, everybody knew everybody. There was only le probably less than 2,000 people in the, in town. And um, uh, so they reported, of course, they probably got, uh, got a reward for it. And they handcuffed me and took me to jail uh, to a town about eight miles away and kept me, uh, I know it was three nights and you know, probably three days that I was in custody. And finally, a, a lady who used to work for us uh, walked to this town and somehow received my release, which we never, my dad and I never talked about it. I don't think he wanted to know what he had to, I don't think he wanted me to know what it uh but it cost him, because I'm sure he had to bribe uh, some of the authorities to, for my release. And, of course, oh, I, I just uh, uh, practically cried all the time while I was in jail. I would not eat. I wanted to be with my dad, but it didn't matter how much I, I begged. They kept me for three days. So uh, after that, um, we were hearing that uh, all these lies about that we will be taken to Germany, which was not a lie, but that we will be put to work because the Germans are uh, lo losing a lot of lot of manpower, and we will be working for them. So it was it was actually like a relief for us because you know we believed. We believed that we will be useful again, and and that uh, it was almost to the point where it wasn't really safe to be in our own own home. You mentioned that you heard the rumors that you were going to be transported to Germany to work, but 
Describe to me how it was that you were um, picked up and your family was then sent to to Auschwitz and how how you came to understand what was happening. It was all gradual. It didn't just happen, you know, overnight. First, uh, they made a, a, a ghetto from in our own home, and uh, then we were told uh, uh, we were told that pack our clothes and some food, no more than forty kilograms. And that we will be, at a certain date, we will be, it was probably a couple of days, that we will be uh, taken out of our homes. And, of course, we, you know, we packed, I packed a couple of suitcases and some food and locked the house thinking that, you know, when the war will be over, that we'll be come home and everything will be the same. We'll come back to our home. Of course, everything that we, we heard uh, was a lie. We, we were just deceived uh, by by the Germans and by the Hungarians as well. And so we were uh, taken to several ghettos or sort of uh, they gathered the Jewish people uh, and finally, we wound up in a in a larger larger town. And by then, we were so short on food that uh, my friend and I were uh, chosen. There were very few young people actually to go, and with, of course, with Hungarian escorts, with Hungarian soldiers, to go out. Um, to the former ghetto where uh, where the Jews where the Jews were concentrated, we we actually occupied a, some kind of an old abandoned factory where we were we were staying. My the 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 Jewish people from my region, just a few hundred, and uh, but the two of us, uh, my friend and I, every day. We went to this uh, former ghetto where it was a horrible sight walking into these homes and uh, seeing that the people must have been awakened in the middle of the night and taken because there were food left on the tables and children's clothes, you know, all over. And, 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 and uh, like a chaos, it was. It it just looked like they that they were not ex- expected to be taken. Right then, it it was very you know it was just a horrible sight. And so we, what we were doing is actually we were hunting for food, and of course we did find some, and and because they were you know hurriedly left and uh, that was what what we were able to you know live on for a few more days until we were told that we will be taken out of out of the country we never were we were never told where 
and uh, we were taken to the railroad station, and there were cattle cars, as far as you could see, uh, full of people, and so they put us in in our wagons, about 80 to, to each wagon, and um, to begin with, because we, we were we were treated terribly by the Hungarian soldiers. As at that time, we did not see any 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 German soldiers, and we were herded into these wagons. Not enough room to really to hardly enough room to to even stand up, and uh, it was like sardines in a cab in a can. But eventually, we found our way. We sort of halfway slept, uh, or laid down on top of practically on, on each other, on each other, and we traveled. And of course, they they locked the doors. And um, uh, before they did, they gave us a couple of buckets. One was empty, and one had water was filled with water. And they told us the empty bucket was our toilet. And at first, we held up a towel or something uh, when we were using the bucket. But after a while, you know, we lost all our modesty and and we didn't even bother with a towel. And we traveled that way uh, about six to seven days. And uh, there was just a couple little holes on, on top of the wagon or on the side of the wagon that uh, and that was even um, uh, covered with um, with wire but we could see out and uh, my dad and uh, other people who who knew the territory were saying that we were going north but had no idea where but you're going through mountains and um, uh, sometimes we would stop and not moving. It was almost like it was a form of punishment. In all this uh, heat, it was June of uh, 1944. Very, very warm in the wagons and no water and run, running very short on food. And people of all ages, babies, old, you know, middle-aged people, old people, I don't know why we didn't go mad, and some of us, some you know, probably did, but it, we just, uh, I just didn't notice what, you know, I'm sure that we left a lot of, lot of bodies behind us. I have no idea. We were close to the door, and um, so I... I, I didn't look in the corners to see, but I know there was a lot of crying, a lot of, uh, you know, noise, and and then, then sometimes it was it was very quiet. That journey had to be the worst any human being can endure, but somehow both my um, dad and I lived through it, and one one day... Uh, very early in the morning, the car the stopped, the, the train stopped, 
and uh, we looked out, and there was a sign, and it said Auschwitz, and next to it in Polish, Auschwitz or something like that, and uh, and my dad was, of course, able to, because he spoke Polish, and he said, we already went in Poland. Had no idea what's coming, and, and then we went a little little ways further. The course, the, the train started, and the next stop was in front of a huge iron gate, and on it, it said the famous saying, "Arbeit max free." That is, uh, work makes sets you free. And we thought, oh, we just arrived to heaven. This is going to be great. We'll be, we will be working, and we will be fed, and everything will be great. But that that feeling didn't last very long because uh, is a young man in striped uniforms came with um, uh, with uh, leather straps in their in their hands and ordered us to to leave the cars and um, leave all our belongings behind and we'll get it on the weekend but get out and and, lie, and form a line woman in one one column and the men in, in another column and they were brutal uh, brutality I can't even describe it. They were hitting us for no reason at all and, and yelling fast, faster, faster. And and occasionally, some of them would uh, whisper if they saw a young boy or a young girl uh, and ask them, how old are you? And, you know, like they were 12 or 14, and he said, no, you're 16. And we... And also, uh, women who had babies in their arms, they were going over and said, "You give that baby to an you know, usually to an older woman, maybe maybe to a grandmother." Uh, and of course, we uh, we you know we obeyed. First of all, that's all we, we were always law abiding. But but then you know there was we were so outnumbered, and there were. Um, uh, all over, we were surrounded with with uh, machine guns and soldiers with you know with uh, guns and uh, so we just we just ha we just obeyed and um, you know now of course history shows that the what the reason that they were saying that because they knew that if you were underage you couldn't work uh, that. You were going to the gas chamber, but, but you know, whoever thought there is such a thing existing, even though by then there was a rumor. And I remember, as we got off the train, I remember seeing chimneys, and uh, the smell was horrible. It was like, uh, like burning flesh, but yet to me, I thought they were burning garbage. I could not believe it.
Well, it's important that uh, to know that that we were deceived. We were, you know, we were lied to. And in my own case, I was, you know, either naive or they would say it today that I was in denial because the signs were there, and yet I could not accept it. Uh, I could not believe it that this is happening, and it was happening. I can't, I can't explain uh, why. You know that I was, like I said, I was either stupid, or or just yeah, just couldn't face it. And even during my my time in that world, but I am ahead of myself. Um, just let's go back, and I I will make it short of uh, uh, about the. Our our selection and our uh, how we were in line of five to a row, just as far as you know that I could see, there were people, and uh, I was right away separated from my dad. I didn't even have time to to hug him because he was just just sort of told to get get in another line another lane and and I just said I'll see you on the weekend because that's what we were told that we will see our our family on the weekend and I still believed it so we were taken to um, uh, led into uh, first of all in front of uh, 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 a platform in front of us with a, a a, a German officer on, sitting on an uh, elevated chair, and um, and he he also had a, 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 some kind of a strap or like a bait, baton, yeah, mm. some kind of a stick. And he was he was immaculately dressed in white uniform, white gloves, and he was. Uh, we had to walk in front of him, and he he was showing us which way to go. Of course, at that time, it didn't. I had no idea what that that meant, life or death. And the ones that were shown to go to go to the left, uh, I happened to be. I had to go on. on on the right, and my dad went on the left, and all noticed all the old people and uh, the young children or or, or mothers with, with babies. They all went to the left, and um, so I, all around me were women uh, about the age from about um, sixteen uh, to maybe thirty-five, and we were led into a huge, huge, like an auditorium type of a building, huge, and uh, were uh, told to to undress. And um, then we were led into a, another room where they, we were shaved. Even cavities, our cavities were examined by uh, 
by other, evidently other they were other prisoners they were wearing prison clothes but i had no idea who they were there were german soldiers all around but they didn't even touch us uh everything was done with the with the prisoners they, they did all the dirty work for the germans and actually I, you know i was like i was never hit by a german it, it was always another prisoner that they they used to do all their dirty work Given your life, do you have a spiritual or a philosophical view of humankind and existence? Well, I, I am, even after all this, I, I still feel there are still a lot of good people in the world. I, I emphasize that when I speak to children that don't take it that that everybody is is evil but there and I always look for the for the for the good in in in, in human beings uh, maybe that sound but it's still like Pollyanna or 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 maybe I I am like Anne Frank, but I am still this way, and evidently I will remain. Uh, this, this is my nature. Now I'm sure not everybody feels that way. I I don't have I don't have the 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 hate. I think. That maybe you, maybe people would expect that I would. I have. I don't have it in me. Um, if, first of all, I can't blame this generation for the sin of their their fathers or grandfathers. It's so. I I am still looking for the good in people. My conversations with Kitty Williams are too compelling to limit to one show. That was part one. Listen for future episodes when we continue to share our conversations about Kitty's life story.
I've been in conversation with Kitty Williams. Kitty, it has been a real pleasure and a privilege for me to be in conversation with you today. Thank you very much. My pleasure. To listen to this show again and to hear past shows, download the podcast at iTunes, search for Live's radio show with Stuart Chittenden, and leave a review while you're there to let me know what you think of the show. That's the end of this week's show. The sound engineer was Dalimar McTizik. The magnificent Marion Fay helped produce the show. Lives is an executive production of Squish Talks. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden. Join me next week for more community, conversation, and the people that bring community to life. <laughs>